We're going to start today in Ephesians chapter 2. And it's talking about salvation. And, you know, obviously an important subject. Um, uh, you know, oftentimes, because you can cover it as a topic, we like to think, and humans, mankind likes to think that this is a one-time thing. There are punctual things that are done in the process, but salvation is a linear process. It's a progression. Um, it is something that, provided we continue to maintain our faith and keep our faith in the Lord, he is faithful and true. He doesn't turn his back on us. Amen. He never does. That's why sometimes it's like splitting hairs. Some say, well, you can lose your salvation. No, you don't lose it. You give it up. Just like in a marriage, if you choose to divorce somebody, you can. I'm not saying it's right. I'm not saying it's advisable. But it can be done. Why? Why is it that way? Because freely we come to him and freely we can leave. If the Lord's got a hold of your heart, hopefully you never encounter that kind of a crossroad in your life. But when we put our selfish desires and our motives pursuits of this life and things like that, it complicates things, just like in a marriage or any kind of relationship that we see. In Ephesians chapter 2, but this relationship and this, this position that we find ourselves in, in Ephesians chapter 2, is something that I, I would like to really make a point to address today. A lot of our churches have been riddled with legalism over the last 25, 30 years. Um, I, and, and it's not just particular to us. Uh, see, legalism pops up, and I, I've been putting things together, done some studies in the Scripture, and you look at legalism. Legalism, when you look at a transactional relationship with the Lord, have you ever heard of that? Transactional? If you do this, I give you my love. Right? Well, in a transactional relationship, you have a hard time dealing with Ephesians chapter 2. You understand? In, in Ephesians chapter 2, in verse, uh, verses 1 through 9, it says, and, and you were dead in your trespasses and sins, in which you formerly walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince and power of the air, of the spirit that is now working in the sons of disobedience. Among them, we too all formerly lived in the lusts of our flesh, indulging in the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, even as the rest. But God, being rich in mercy, because of his great love with, with, with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our transgressions, so every one of us in here was dead in our transgressions, made us alive together with Christ. By grace, you have been saved. And raised up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. So that in the ages to come, he might show the surpassing riches of his grace and kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, it is a gift of God. Amen. Not as a result of works, so that one may boast. For we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand so that we would walk in them. 
Therefore, remember that formerly you, the Gentiles in the flesh, were, the so, uh, were called uncircumcision by the so-called circumcision, which is performed in the flesh by human hands. <clears throat> I've shared with you guys in here before. I call it the law of the pendulum. Okay? You look at this and you go, what do you mean? Listen, salvation is a gift that is given to us. It, it, there is nothing that you and I on this earth, this human flesh, can do to deserve it. There's no amount of abstinence from sin or things of that nature. There's no core list of things to do. No transactional forms that you can look at and go, check, 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 that you could do to deserve God's salvation. There's nothing. His grace and his mercy is not transactional. All it requires is our faith. Oh, well, that gets difficult sometimes, doesn't it? Well, when we stay acquainted with that fact, we are sensitive to the fact that we don't deserve it. But it is a blessing. And it is a gift. We have to be reminded of it that it is a gift, don't we? we? We do. I do. Because we can take it for granted. See, sometimes we take salvation, we have it, and, 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 and the, throughout Scripture, you could say, I am saved, I am being saved, and I will be saved. There's a Scripture that supports that. Amen? Amen. And it's all true. It's all right. There's a, there, there's a flip side to this. You say it's all transactional. We look at this and say, if you do this, therefore God loves you. He loved you when you were detestable. He loves us even now when we're detestable. <laughs> By his mercy and his grace, he allows us to repent, doesn't he? You go somewhere, he says, we're created for his workmanship. So there is an implication there that after his saving grace comes into our lives, that we're created for good works, are we not? Amen. We're supposed to live under his, here, hold on a second, his lordship. Amen. We're to do things the way that he says to do things. Because his saving grace and those baptisms, we come out of those baptismal waters, we're, we're, we're there to walk in a newness of life. That You're not created to walk in that path until you're getting the opportunity to be saved by him. Until grace and mercy enters into your life. And then for us long-standing Baptists and these long-standing Christians, what happens to us is we get old and calloused. We get used to the way of life. How many gifts do you have in your life? Look at the, the things that you cherish so much that you spent so long to achieve to get. How many of those, those gifts and those things sit on a shelf and collect dust in your, in your home? Why? Human nature. Complacency. We were talking about it before services started today. It's complacency. We get used to having that gift. And so what happens is, is we have to become reacquainted with that gift. We have to become reacquainted 
with who Jesus is. You go, wait a second. I got to become reacquainted with who Jesus is, even though I sit right in the pew every Sunday? Absolutely. Because our bodies, the way that they work. Listen, I learned something. A good friend of mine, Tom, taught me something about the human body. He says, when you're lifting, and this is with anything in life, he says, when you're lifting, you're either chasing the weight or you're chasing the rep. You know, I'm like, what? So he was, he was always changing the rep set scheme or he was changing the weights. Could be only a weight, one pound at a time or whatever it is. And, you know, I, you know talking with him, I'm like, well, why, why do you do it that way? He says, because after about four weeks, your body reaches a plateau. Your body adjusts to whatever strenuous exercise that you were doing and it no longer breaks the muscle fibers down like it used to. Your body becomes used to it. So you change up your rep set scheme or you change up your weights just ever so slightly. Add, add two reps, add do these, you know, you just look at it and go, hmm, why is that important? Because that's, I think, a testimony of the design of, of God's body and it, it parallels to all of us, listen, how many of you can sit out there and go, if I just made this much money per hour, life would be so much better? And 20 years ago, you made that. 10 years ago or whatever it was. And then you end up there and you're like, wow, I thought life would get better. And it has incrementally. It does get better. But you adjust to it. Salvation can be that way for us, but we cannot lose sight of the fact that it is without question, unequivocally, scripture doesn't lie, a gift. That mankind does not deserve. In our natural state, just being man, now I've read it to you in 1 Corinthians chapter 15 over there, for all in Adam are dead. The very fact that we've been kicked out from the garden, we've needed the saving grace of Jesus Christ in our lives. We didn't need it just once. We didn't need it just twice. We need it every day. And the burden that we need his saving grace in our lives is the very thing that drives us to share it with others. Because we know and see and can feel what he's done with us and through us that there's others that need to hear this. We're compelled to share it because it's had such an impact in our lives, in our hearts. You can't shut us up. <clears throat> in 1 Timothy chapter 2, Verse 1 says, First of all, then, I urge that entreaties and prayers, petitions and thanksgivings be made on behalf of all men, for kings and all who are in authority, so that we may lead a tranquil and quiet life in all godliness and dignity. This is good and acceptable in the sight of God our Savior, who desires all men to be saved and come to the knowledge of the truth. That's verse 4. He desires that all men 
be saved. That means the field's wide open, isn't it? There's something that's very, very important is that our God, and listen, I'm looking for an amen here, but our Heavenly Father is our master. Amen? Let's break it down into everyday terms. Our God is our boss, is he not? Amen. Our God said, I desire all men to be saved. Amen? That is his objective. Not mine, not yours. He set it out. It's been laid out for us. That is the objective. Now, we all know that not all men are going to be saved. But we also know that you and I don't make that decision. It's not ours. That's his. That's his business. Now, here's something that I want to talk to you guys about. You know, a, a lot of times we, we think about this, 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 this salvation. We understand that he desires that all men be saved. Amen. I'm glad for that because I sit here before you tonight, and you're a good-looking group of people, but I can guarantee you, uh, outside of here, I probably wouldn't be hanging out with you guys. And it's probably fair for you to say that about me. Amen? Amen? It's got to be God that drawn us together because it, <laughs> it's kind of a mixed, mixed bag of group of people. What? In uh, John chapter 6, there's something that's, that's really interesting here that he says he desires that all men be saved, right? In, in 1 Timothy chapter 2 that we we're just reading there. And then verse 44. Now, I'm going to jump in in chapter, chapter 6, John chapter 6. John chapter 6 is a very important chapter. Now, this is not just a preacher saying this. You go back and read the entire chapter of John chapter 6 because there's some really good stuff that takes place. I, I, I look at John chapter 6 as akin to, to the book of James. You understand? Understand my correlation. My correlation between the two is the fact that John chapter 6 is where the rubber meets the road for some folks. And when the rubber meets the road, to use that term, right? Everybody's heard where the rubber meets the road, where it gets real. Where this, this, this ministry and this gospel, <laughs> this ministry and this gospel, you know, he starts to explain it to them. And they're like, wait, he's saying he's the bread that came out of heaven? Whoa, hold on a second. His blood? Whoa, hold on a second. Whoa, 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 whoa. He fed us a couple times. This guy's pretty smart. He's a good, he's a good teacher. Well, he starts talking about, no, 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 no. You come through me. Oh, hold on a second. That's where the rubber meets the road, to use that metaphor. They have a hard time with that, especially the Pharisees and the Sadducees. Why would they have a hard time with that? Because they were the religious elite of that day. They were the political influencers. They were the people in charge of things. And here you have the son of a carpenter from Nazarene telling them, come through me. Wait a second. In verse 44, it says, no one can come to me unless the father who sent me draws him. And I will raise him up on the last day. Now you go, well, wait a second. He's talking, and contextually, he is talking about those that have come to him, that are sitting in him and listening to him. Yes? 
Would we agree to that? Verse 65, same chapter, he says, he was saying, for this reason I've said to you that no one can come to me unless it has been granted to him from the Father. How many times in our life we say, I got lucky, or it was coincidence. If someone has been put into your life, it is not by accident. If somebody walks through those doors, it is not by accident. They have been drawn here by, the, by God Almighty himself. If there is somebody in your life that keeps popping up, and you get to be an opportunity. You get to pray with them. You get to share the gospel with them. You get, to, you get to be a witness to them. That is not by accident. We say, well, I got lucky. Or by chance we met. There ain't no such thing as chance. You're a child of God. And if God's putting people in your path, he's asking you to do something. That's what that is. See, we get mixed up in everyday life. We go, you know, I got responsibilities. Got to go feed the dogs. I got to go to work. I got to do all these different things. All those things are realities. We all do those things, right? We get caught up in the day-to-day -day and we lose sight of something that is bigger than you and I. And that God is constantly drawing mankind to him. And you and I are the vehicle by which that is accomplished on earth. It's not by luck. It's not by chance. It's by design and by his order. You understand? Are we clear on that? Is that something that we, that we understand? The very fact that I stand before you today is not by chance. While you all may have voted me as your pastor 13-something years ago, God knew that that was going to happen before it did. He knew that you would be here. He knew that everybody that is here, he knows that. He's an omniscient God. He knows the struggles that we go through too. But his saving grace, we must understand that when God calls us and people show up, and when, when, God, when people even in our lives show up, there's a reason for it, folks. I want you to walk away from today and recognize that. Ha take comfort in the fact that when God presents people to, into your life and into this body, that God has given you an opportunity to do something for him. Something greater is at work. Greater than you and I. And when we're dead and gone, provided the Lord doesn't come back, it continues on. It transcends this generation. It transcends my age, your age. It transcends all of us. It's the way he designed the New Testament church to work. And it's going to continue to do that long after we're gone. Until he returns. We are absolutely 100% blessed to be a part of that. In Titus chapter 3.
a lot faster on my iPad. Take me a minute longer in my real Bible. In chapter 3 and verse 1, it says, Remind them to be subject to rulers, to authorities, to be obedient, and to be ready for every good deed. To malign no one, to be peaceable, gentle, showing every uh, consideration for all men. For we once, once were foolish ourselves, disobedient, deceived, enslaved to various lusts and pleasures, spending our life in malice and envy, hateful, hating one another. But when the kindness of God, our Savior, and his love for your mankind appeared, he saved us, not on the basis of deeds which we have done in righteousness, but according to his mercy, by the washing of the regeneration and the renewing by the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out upon us richly through Jesus Christ, our Savior. So that being justified by his grace, we would be made heirs according to the hope of eternal life. Not on the basis of deeds, but it's on the basis, as it says there, according to his mercy, by the washing and regeneration, the renewing of the Holy Spirit. That does not free us from having a Christian lifestyle and, and an expectation on how to live. Of course not. But we must also remember there's not a list that qualifies us to God. That is both difficult to understand and to accept, but also kind of freeing too. I thank God. In Romans chapter 10, it is absolutely imperative, I believe, that you know, it's been years since I heard him talk about it, but the confession in Romans chapter 10, um, in verse 1, it says, Brethren, my heart's desire and prayer for God to God for them is their salvation. For I testify about them that they have a zeal for God, but not in accordance with knowledge. For not knowing about God's righteousness and seeking to establish their own, they did not subject themselves to the righteousness of God. For Christ is the end of the law for righteousness to everyone who believes. For Moses writes that, that the man who practices the righteousness is, which is based in the law shall live by that righteousness. You can continue to read on. He says in verse 12, For there is no distinction between Jew and Greek, for all the Lord is, for the same Lord is Lord of all, abounding in riches for all who call, uh, call on him. For whoever will call on the name of the Lord, the Lord will be saved. Or the, the Lord will, uh, whoever will call on the name of the Lord will be saved. That's the way it's supposed to be read. And I like this in verse 14. How then will they call on him in whom they have not believed? Yeah, makes sense. In other words, you first believe in him and you call upon him. How will they believe in him whom they have not heard? How will they hear without a preacher? How will they preach unless they are sent? Just as is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news, good things. The 
tells us in verse 9 that if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. What? Confession is absolutely fundamental in the process of God's saving grace, is it not? We must have it. I used the uh, last Sunday. I used the the figure of speech when we after uh, just before the baptism of of Julissa. You look at it. Nobody walks through the doors and goes, "Okay, I want to be baptized." You don't. But we've had this punctiliar approach to things. You say a preacher's fault. Okay, preacher's fault. Maybe I'm guilty of it too. Yeah, but it's faith that brings you to baptism. It's also faith that keeps you. Serving him after you come out of those baptismal waters. See, we're created for his workmanship. Ephesians chapter 2, it talks about over there, right? We talk about creating his workmanship. The work and the deeds that are talking about there are deeds of, and works of faith. Faith started it. Faith is along the way. And faith is what carries us through. It is on the basis of faith. That's not... Heresy, that's not foreign, that's scriptural. It is faith. Faith unto faith. Mm. Mankind must confess. We must all confess. See, see sometimes that's all that's waiting. <laughs> Right. Sometimes the baptismal water, the bapti the bap the easiest part about performing a baptism is filling the tub. You understand? That's the easiest part. It takes I, I said six hours the other night. It how long does it take to fill that thing? Probably three hours, two hours, right? I I overshot it. You know. I inflated that number. But two to three hours, that's the hardest part. Or the easiest part. Sorry, that's the easiest part. The hardest part is for man to recognize and to make the confession within his heart that I want to serve God. That I relinquish control of my life and I put my faith in you. You don't put your faith in me. You don't put your faith even in this church. You put a little bit of your faith in me and your little bit of faith in this church, but your faith is in God alone. There will come a day, and it, who knows, it may be sooner rather than later. I'm not standing before you, but someone will be. The gospel continues. The gospel is bigger than any one person that sits in here. We're merely the caretakers of it here on earth. And we're blessed to be a part of that. And for man to make that confession is such a beautiful thing because it is true and genuine and it is essential. And it is the first step in the process for, for us to, to just look at God and go, I've messed it all up. I need you. I don't know where I'm going. I'm lost. I have no direction. I need God. I need your spirit and your word to guide and direct me. News flash. We, I hope to God we've all come to that decision in our lives. 
And even the long-standing Christians has to say to yourself, I still need God. You have to go back to his word and be able to read it and see what it says. You have to be able to admit to the fact that even you and I can become lost, even though we've never left. You remember the story of the prodigal son? Prodigal son disappears, he squanders his living. Everybody, we spend a lot of time talking about that one, right? And it's good scripture, it's good stuff. And he wakes up in his right mind, the scripture says, and he comes back. But the story doesn't end there. Father puts the ring and the robe on him, right? Gives him all the good stuff, restores him. His inheritance is gone. There's a second part to that story. His brother that never left. He was indignant. He said, why are you throwing a party for this worthless brother of mine? And his dad looked at him and says, you've had this all along. You've just never taken advantage of it. There were two prodigal sons. One left. The other one never did. The other one never left. He never took the opportunity to cut the fatted calf, to have the to, to enjoy the blessings that were his father was giving him and already gave them to him. They're right here. You missed it. But instead he got upset when his brother repented. Because he got something that I didn't get. If you've ever raised kids or you're raising kids. That's a reoccurring theme. <laughs> it happens a lot. Confession is essential. The confession that must take place is in John chapter 14. It's something that we must reacquaint ourselves with over and over and over again. Because even as, and you say more so maybe for a pastor. Why? Because pastors can say a lot of wild things, a lot of crazy things, outlandish things sometimes, right? But it's got to be vetted through the word of God. It's got to be bounced across scripture. You got to look at it and go, listen, in John 14, 6, it says, Jesus said, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. Your confession is to God and your salvation is through Jesus Christ. As it is mine and yours sitting out there today. And thank God for that because he's the way, not me. Because I promise you, you know what happens with me when I try and lead and when I try and do things? I mess up. So do you. But when you rely on his word and his spirit to lead and guide and direct us, brethren, it doesn't mean we won't make mistakes. The Proverbs teaches us a righteous man falls six times and gets up a seventh. I think it's how it goes. Or it might be seven and gets up eight. Either way, the point is, is that you fall down, you get back up. God allows us to make mistakes. What he does not like is laziness. He don't like that. You know what I mean? He, he, he wants us to put the effort out. Oof. What do you mean? Chasing a rep or you're chasing the weight. Always. We have to be. 
We have to be <clears throat> chasing those those desires, looking forward, uh, looking forward to, and and hastening the opportunity that God is presenting in our lives to grow and to become better servants of His will, and and to to become demonstrators of His salvation in our lives. In the thirty seventh Psalm, in verse thirty nine, it says, "But the salvation of the righteousness or righteous is from the Lord; He is their strength in the time of trouble." The 62nd Psalm, verse 1, it says, My soul waits in silence for God only, for from him is my salvation. He only is my rock and my salvation, my stronghold. I shall not be greatly shaken. His salvation is in him. In John chapter 3, in verse 16, it says, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whoever believes or is believing in him shall not perish, but may have eternal life. For God did not send the Son into the world to judge the world, but that the world might be saved through him. He who believes or is believing in him is not judged, and he who does not believe has been judged already, because he has not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. Understand this. God sent his Son into the world, not to judge the world, but that the world might be saved through him. Sometimes we spend, you know, we do this thing. I, I, I think it's funny sometimes. I do it. I'm as guilty of it as probably the next person. You look at how unrighteous and how ungodly this world is, right? And, and sometimes, man, we shake our heads at it. It's like, I can't believe how ungodly this world is. You're not the first Baptist to say that, nor will you be the last one to say that. We'll probably be saying that until the Lord returns himself, Okay. But sometimes what happens to us is that we lose sight of the fact that that is our mission field. This lost and dying world is exactly where we're supposed to be. I've heard brethren over the years come up with wild, wild dreams of like, hey, we should duck off into the mountains and just go live by ourselves. That's called a cult. And that's not where God called you to be. He's called us to be right in the mix of all of it. And he led by example. He sat and ate with tax collectors and sinners. You know who did not eat with tax collectors and sinners? The Pharisees and the Sadducees. When they saw a sick guy on the street, they didn't want to get their clothes dirty. So they went on the other side of the street. Our Savior did not do that. Our Savior dined with them. Because he understood the mission that his father had commissioned him to do. 
sent him down here to save the lost. This is a sick and dying world. There's a lot of messed up people out there. Myself included. It is only by the grace of God that I could stand here before you today and preach his gospel. And here, listen, I say that so hopefully that you could sympathize with me. You understand? Sympathize with me. If you cannot stand here and understand and recognize that you're a wretched sinner just like I am, you're losing touch. You got to reacquaint yourself with what the scripture teaches. You got to be reminded, oh, that salvation, it's a gift. Yeah, it is. We didn't do anything to deserve it other than put our faith in our Heavenly Father and His Son, Jesus Christ. His mission, His objective by sending His Son into this world was to save the world. Is the world going to be judged? Absolutely. But the objective was to bring about the salvation of mankind. Spread to far-flung ends of the earth. And we are a living testimony of why and how that is accomplished. Venture to guess there's probably a lot of you that couldn't draw up a scenario and a plan that would brought you here today. Right? You go, there's no way. Because you were drawn here by God. Countless times I've heard folks talk about, you know, Brother Josh and, and Cindy talking about <laughs> moving to Bakersfield, California, right? Huh? People are like, are you crazy? It gets hot there, real hot, by comparison, right? Golly, your guys' high in the summer is, what, 75 up there? That's warm-up. Shoot, summertime, we don't even see 75 at night sometimes. Look at the Stevens, how they came here, the Vossers, Dunmires over the years, myself, Dara, Jenny, Matt, Becca. You look at that, you, you, you grab all these people that have come into our lives here recently. Hey, and take great pride. If you're, if you're visiting, if you've been, we've become friends over the years, it's not by accident. It's not. It's divinely done. It's a part of his divine plan. Where it goes from there, I don't know. I'm not the architect. I'm not in charge of it. Neither are you. And thank you for that. Mikey, Jalissa, right? You look at this and you go, I couldn't have drawn it up this way. Because it's not your job to do it, Jeremy. See, God places people in our path, in our lives, in, in, for us to do what is right for them according to the gospel, according to the scripture, to be used by it and by him. It's amazing what can be done. You know, there's, there's this infamous man in the book of Acts Shoo-wee. They laid robes at his feet. Saul. And matter of fact, when the Lord got a hold of Saul's heart and converted him, and he later became Paul, as we know, was it Simeon or Simon? I think it's Simon the Tanner. It was told to go down and talk to him. He says, whoa, 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 wait a minute. 
I'm not going down there. I've, I've heard about how much harm that man has done to your people. I'm not going down there. Well, he didn't say it like that. He said, are you sure that's where I want to go? You want to send me? Yep, because he's a chosen instrument of mine. And I tell you guys today, you look at the most prolific writer in the New Testament, Paul became. You don't get the ministry of Paul without the, the treachery and sin that led him to that point. That zeal and everything that he got, he became a man at a forehead of flint and, and underwent all kinds of amazing things for the sake of the gospel. God used him. And if God can use an absolute outright enemy to the church, of the church, he for sure can use you and I and is using us. There's nobody that is disqualified based on the side of town that you live on, the kind of car that you drive. There's nobody, there's, there's no element that prevents you from serving God. There isn't. Why? Because it's a fundamental right in the progress of the gospel to where we, as God's people, bring the lost and the dying and the hurt into this body or share the gospel with them. Sometimes, sometimes all you get to do is share it with people. You say, well, that's all I was able to do. Well, maybe that's all God called you to do that day. The importance is you did it. The importance is that you presented yourself with the opportunity and you took it. You were presented with it and you took it and you did what God said to do. Every one of us must come to the understanding in our lives and in our hearts that we need God, that we need Christ. And that we must also remember that that was our God's commission of his son on this earth. And that we get to be a part of that. It's a beautiful thing. His saving grace and, the, and, and his salvation is something that none of us in here deserves. But it's a gift. Brethren, cherish the gift. Dust that gift off every once in a while in your own heart and in your own mind. Take it off the shelf. Pull it out of the drawer where you've locked it up and put it. Put, pull it out and dust it off and become reacquainted with that gift. For those of you that have not taken advantage of the gift, commit yourself to him. Be the inspiration for your family. Bring that, be that beacon of light in the community and, and places that you find yourself in. Be that. Be used by him. Understand that there's a greater purpose and a greater mission for all of us out there. He's called us to great things, brethren. That doesn't mean fancy cars and big houses. The great things that he's called us to are the great things here on earth, the sharing of his gospel and the spreading of his word and bringing lost souls to Christ.
May the Lord bless you and keep you.